Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons. A views of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Finkler. Our top story. Did the media's head just disappear up its own butt? The entire news cycle this morning was about a news conference that had not even happened yet. It was simply about the fact that Joe Biden, having been in office already a couple months, has not yet put a presser out. They had presidential historians talking about previous presidents and how many minutes they did their first presser, what time of day, how many questions they took, the average number, the average number of minutes they took to answer each question. I mean, it was really, as my mother would say, slow news day. I'm telling you, it was really a slow news day. And I actually, because I I didn't get a chance to watch it before we came to air. I know you saw it a little bit, so I'm going to ask you about that. But let me just tell you what I was hearing in anticipation of it. The big questions were, was he going to stumble? How was his, was he going to seem presidential? And, And then, of course, what the Content would be policy surprises, anything like that. Hopefully he would hit immigration, gun control and the filibuster right off the bat. And uh, what I thought was annoying, what was annoying to me is that even on Fox, where you should have some. We sh- I mean, I obviously have given up on that, but they act like Fox represents a certain point of view. And these guys definitely don't. Brett Baer. And Chris Wallace were talking to each other. Brett Baer was so mean to Ron Paul that I can I cannot stand him anymore. And Chris Wallace is uh, either my mother would maybe call him a, a, a half a liberal, or he's just a crappy liberal. So I don't know what his story is, but what really irked me today was that he said some people are likening Biden with FDR, and then he said FDR, the president who got us out of the Depression and won World War II. I was like, first of all, he got us into the Depression. Right. And and I, so when he said he got us out of the Depression and I said, yeah, but he got I was thinking to myself, yeah, but he got us into World War Two. Chris Wallace says that he says he won World War Two. He wasn't even alive when World War Two ended. And he got us into well, World he War Two. He had supernatural power. It could have been. And the Depression, if you compare how Warren Harding and Calvin Coolidge handled the aftermath of World War One and the Fed, they were at the CFR and that whole crowd was trying to put that depression down since day one, since right after World War One. And it did not happen. Because those guys didn't interfere. And then uh, Herbert Hoover always had this like, oh, his bad policies led to another decade of depression. That It is true. He did have terrible policies, but FDR carried them on like uh, several times. The depression tried to end and FDR's policies made it worse. And that all gave an excuse to get into World War Two, which the American people did not want. So I just this this these touchstones, this narrative to to harken back to that awesome rock video, which I'm sure people will love uh, about the, this idea that they take 
they they are saying that they like the they take the narrative and your stories and they and they play on those to deliver messages they want you to have a certain reaction to but it's very clear to me they are really in the business of establishing the narrative itself so like what chris wallace was saying about fdr and i don't know if he's really trying to use that archetype as a touchstone for biden deal right yes but that was yeah. all socialism that that those kind of policies they just the the question of what happened with the depression is is complicated Murray Rothbard has a great book called America's Great Depression for people who are interested in that. But it, it, FDR did not get us out of the depression, nor did he win World War Two. It just bothered me. Well, that's why they call the Green New Deal the new the Green New Deal is because. And then yeah. LBJ had a riff on that as well. I mean, that is it's kind of like Watergate. He just put a gate on the end of it, and it made sense. Yeah. But and to address your initial question to open the show, I don't think they suddenly put their heads up their backsides. I think that's where <laughs> their heads remain for a good majority. Yeah, you could actually say that pretty much every every show. What I noticed about the coverage before the press conference it's actually still going on right now is there was this whole idea that joe biden is the most prepared man on the planet for any press conference there's ever been in the history of preparation joe biden is the is is how you prepare and they contrast that with we all know when trump did these pressers and when trump did debates and when trump did anything he never prepared he never practiced he did everything off the cuff he was unpredictable he was wild he was mean and now we have joe biden who has three ring binders and 14 point font and how he preps all the time people are drilling him with questions people uh he sits thoughtfully thinking about how he's gonna best communicate to the american people the man is a preparation machine and he's decent and he's moral and thank god we're going to get the first press conference from him that's the feel i got the only thing i would question is were they secretly trying to call him old by pointing out the 14 point font yes i I noticed that as well a little a little big on the the font and i do i probably made uh too broad a brushstroke there saying suggesting that FDR did not win World War II. I it's complicated. He was not alive when it ended, but you could surely argue that his efforts, yada yada. But that's another I mean, you think the de- depression is a complicated story. The I mean there's a, a book, I think it's called I think it goes into this in Target Patton that Patton was really, really pissed at Eisenhower because they they could have won the war long before they did. And Eisenhower intentionally stalled to give Russia a better foothold, which was kind of FDR's baby. This is some some alternative idea. So it's complicated, but it's too complicated for Chris Wallace to say that. I just I was a little triggered. So I don't want people Wallace to say like, a, hmm, he loves Biden. Yes, but he also loves FDR. <laughs> you know, that's the one. I, I have more of a problem with FDR than I have with Biden. Except for it's yeah. too late to stop FDR. Yeah, that's right. There's nothing you can do now. So Kamala got in some hot water, but not really yesterday. <laughs> because yeah. she was getting on to Air Force Two and she did not salute the military. And, of course, people on, on the right were quick to point that out because that's what that's what people do. We know when anytime Trump did anything that made it that could be spun 
as though he is disrespecting the military. The media jumped all over it. They said he hates John McCain. He says the military people are stupid. All he does is disrespect them, and he didn't even give the right type of gesture. His hand was at the wrong angle or wrong degree. It's just, just whatever. It's stuff like that. And then Joe Biden during the campaign, while Trump was still president, you know, they have to contrast. So people pointed out one time that Biden did not salute the military or it didn't look like he did. And the, the fact checkers jumped in and said, oh, but he did. You just didn't realize he did because he did it in a way that, you know, you didn't notice. Hey, it was invisible. Does yeah right the invisible salute Kamala does it does it and so they completely shift the framing on the reporting of it which I don't disagree with this but this should be how it was always reported and it is actually there's no mandate for the president to salute the military well this is actually goes into another thing that they triggered me this morning is that they were talking about Joe Biden and this is his first presser, presser since becoming commander in chief. Now that is a military expression. We do not have a we do not have martial law. They he is not commander in chief until called into actual service which like I don't I can't even imagine that that's happened in my lifetime. But they they if they are giving him they that commander in chief thing is a military title in which case he would be he's the commander-in-chief which case he is military i mean it, it, they got to get their story straight oh I my god i just saw them cut away from joe biden's press conference and the expression on the reporter's face on cbs is just glowing i, I don't oh even have gosh. to hear what she's saying because her face is just exuberant because she's so happy with how the press conference went it's all over her face and body i i have to tell you this crazy thing stella put in our press pool at the prop report.com she show, she takes a screenshot from a newsmax story i guess they have that in australia it is i actually have to show it to you because it's so crazy it is a picture of trump the screen is trump with his hands wide and but it's it's talking about the atlanta shooting story so the subtitle like the banner across the bottom says sex addicted killer well that is an interesting do you see use it? of yeah i do see it it's got trump doing what he does when he ra- uh, puts his arms out like he's got yeah, like, a giant hug to everybody in the arena his yes. head is, is up and he's kind of kind of smiling a little bit and it says sex addicted killer at the bottom that's a, a technique <laughs> a, a transference technique in propaganda you you associate that image with uh, the phrase they do that a lot on the with those subtitles it's pretty interesting so trump actually apparently tried to buy stake in Gab and people on his behalf tried to buy stake in Parler and neither the exchange was going to be that he will start using the account to share his opinions on whichever platform he gets stake in in exchange for him being able to buy stake in it and they did not want to do it the Parler guy was like we have an account for him if he wants to come join we'd welcome him on here but we're not for sale and so there's been no deal made, and then it was announced that Trump is going to be starting his his own social media company, possibly. We heard that a couple of days ago. I'm wondering if that is some sort of negotiation tactic to try and make Gab or Parler say, okay, maybe we should let him buy in because anything that he starts up is going to take away from a lot of the – from what the activity they're getting. And I think them, even though they're, they are doing the uh, – probably what they should do by taking a stance saying we're not, we're not for sale, that is probably going to make it – bad for them because people say wait a minute you should let trump buy you let let trump buy a stake in you so we can take over and so that could adversely affect them and make them more willing to do a deal so maybe trump ends up buying gab 
Or he just uses that as an excuse to start his own without making it look like he was deliberately trying to undermine them. You know, there's always optics at play. There is a real story that is not, I don't think it's optics. I think they actually nailed it for once. It was, it's a story in the journal, like totally buried. I guess the big tech guys are back in Washington and Mark Zuckerberg suggested a change to 230, section 230. And I have to say, I've been anticipating this for the longest time and to the point where I didn't even realize that other people weren't realizing what the problem was going to be. So Zuckerberg wants to change 230. He thinks Section 230, which is the 27 words that created the Internet from the 1996 Decency Act or whatever, it says that as a platform on the Internet, you are not responsible for content like you would be if you were a publisher like of a newspaper with an editorial staff and all that. So what he wants is that platforms I knew this was coming I absolutely knew this was coming should have to demonstrate that they have systems in place for identifying and removing unlawful content did I not point out the entire time that is what they would do because YouTube for example announced a while ago so I'm sure it's more than this now that they had 10,000 human censors in their employ to make sure that nobody got radicalized or whatever I was like okay so they can either require that by law which will keep everybody else out of the business or they can set up a false flag for a competitor bit shoot or whatever that doesn't have the resources to have 10,000 watchers and if they you know deliberately and they do that I think with bit shoot and maybe gab they put people over there who are over the top offensive can't handle it um, maybe are dangerous stuff like that it's just fabricated and it is to undermine the other guy I wonder if that's what happened to Gawker so there was a quote in the the journal in this very short article in the journal of the fight for the future. It's an organization who are is resisting this says that Zuckerberg's proposal would devastate smaller platforms and internet startups locking in Facebook's monopoly. And that is absolutely true. That's what I've been saying all along. Of course, they want regulation that regulatory barriers to entry always supports the incumbent and the big guy. And it goes right to what Robert Barnes was saying in the interview we did with him, which is both in our audio feed and it's also free on Rockfin. So if you go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report, you can watch the video free there. You might have to register as a follower for us, but we like that. So please do. But what he was saying was and and he really um, educated me on this. And it's not my style to approach things this way, but he's not wrong. And the idea is Section 230, because I don't think a private enterprise should be required for the free speech uh, to uphold the First Amendment. However, these aren't private enterprises in that they use the DARPA Internet. They um, they use the government to enforce patents. They've used government money for some of the tech. Uh, Actually, even individuals have won contests underwritten by the research arm of the U.S. government, stuff like that. So he what Barnes said is somebody like Facebook is a 75 percent monopoly, 75 percent dominating force. He has 75 percent of the market in that niche, and that makes him a monopoly. So these rules, if you're going to write, rewrite 230, it needs to apply only to the monopoly players. Now, I would rather say only to players that get government um, handouts or cooperate with the government or use the government platform, which would be everybody. So that 
it turns out that, you know, it does get nuanced. But his Barnes answer does work, which is if you apply Zuckerberg's suggestion simply to the monopolists, then the guys who own 75 percent who can actually afford to do this kind of thing would have to abide by the First Amendment and maybe even have some of these expectations that a publisher would have, whereas the small guys would be exempt from it just like they always have. Yeah, that's that's interesting that that's playing out right now while this thing about Trump maybe starting his own thing is playing out. His handler, one of his guys, Jason Miller, again, was saying this is going to be the hottest ticket in social media, Trump's new thing. So they're really amping this thing up and social media dominates our reality. So it only makes sense that he would get involved in that. I wouldn't be surprised if he will have a personal effort, a personal stake in how the 230 gets rewritten. And he was leading the charge in rewriting 230. And I anticipated, regardless of who won, I wrote an article in October 2016 called Teeing It Up for the Censorship President. And I knew Obama was the surveillance president, that the next guy would be the censorship president. And maybe Trump will carry on that mandate. I mean, to the extent he's working for somebody else anyway, he doesn't really need to be sitting in the big chair to still foster certain policy agenda items with which people will believe or will try, you know, they trust him to. And if he's engaged in it, it'll have more credibility. I think you're onto something there. There's certainly an argument to be made that more power lies in controlling the the platforms where people communicate and have their civil or uncivil discourse. Shifting gears a little bit here. A man took six guns and body armor into a Publix in Atlantic Station in Atlanta, Georgia, and police arrested this guy as a 22-year-old guy. He walked in there and he went into the bathroom with the guns. I don't know what he's doing. Somebody saw him in there, ran out. They alerted the security and called 911. And the guy had a rifle. He had handguns. And they blocked off the streets and everything. And then they also found a suspicious package. And the parking deck nearby, they are investigating whether or not they're related right now. They don't believe them to be related. But the focus of the story seems to be that mental health, and this is the same thing that we're seeing emerge along with the gun narrative, mental health is a problem right now, obviously. That's another one of those Rolodex items that pops up. And I'm also wondering... We also talk about the copycat thing and people seeing this on TV with the shootings happened. Is that likely to increase it? I'm wondering if this is an effect on that. The details of the story of the person who did it are, are a bit fuzzy. They haven't given much about him yet. But the most interesting part of the story to me is that, oh, on top of that, there's also a shooting on a MARTA station just right down the street. So three incidents in Atlantic Station right now or yesterday, all in a very short period of time, which led to and this is a if you're not if you've ever been there in Atlanta, Atlantic Station is a is one of those live work play spaces. And it's a po very popular place to go. And there's always a lot of activity around there. And so they had a, they had the whole area blocked off and they had sent alerts out to a, to a nearby bank telling them that we're, we're locking the doors from the outside, so they're not going to be able to get out because of the dangers. That that point right there makes me think that in the future, hackers could hack these alert systems where they're sending things out. You could send false alerts to people, causing people to shut shut down buildings. People could be stuck inside buildings. There's all kind of havoc that could be caused with this alert system that we're relying on more and more. Secondly, they pointed out that despite all the, the roads being blocked off and police being everywhere, that 
people in and around Atlantic Station seemed to be completely unaware of anything that was going on. They were eating. They were still shopping. They were just walking around milling. And that got me thinking that that is the state that we're in where our default is that even if we see police cars, roads blocked off, something that would otherwise be alarming, we're like, ah, it's probably a movie shoot or something. And for all you know, there's a gunman somewhere that could let off a bunch of rounds and you could, because you didn't alert, you didn't have that threat alert. Our threat alert is dull. I think what I'm trying to say there. I remember going to Ireland, I guess maybe it was during the Troubles. I don't even know, but I was, I think, a teenager and I, and there were, they weren't cops. They were like military with long guns just walking around the streets. And I remember it really made me nervous because the guns were really big. And I thought, you know, why are people just like acting normally? And I even think maybe they had a kind of curfew in effect, but people just took it. I think you get used to the trauma. I think the mental health thing, people, I do recommend libertarians who are interested, look up Thomas Zaz, S-Z-A-S-Z. He was a psychiatrist and a libertarian. And he talks about the dangers of mental health law that people are everybody's either healthy or not healthy like there's a I mean it's very hard to mental disease is over diagnosed he said that it's used to control society wholesale it's to give people drugs it's to justify these red flags to commit people to take away their rights to label them to surveil them all without the due process that's afforded a mass murderer in the constitution I mean the mental health takes away makes you a mental health accusations makes you a low form of life than even somebody 10 witnesses to kill 100 people you would absolutely have more rights than the a mental someone accused of being mentally ill i also thought one of the elements of that story was that the guy had body armor and that yeah. they mentioned that that's a big deal to me because they they are definitely going to target body armor as something they they want to regulate and i think that and they're going to say it's because you don't want some nut job with a big gun to go in and the cops can't take them down but of course it's not just about a nut job with a big gun it's about the cops should always be able to take you down and they and they're what i have been anticipating for a long time so maybe it won't happen but i think it will their attack on body armor is a tell that they're really not interested in they're really not worried about you as an offensive weapon they're they are worried about you being able to defend yourself against them that goes to gun control generally but the real tell is when they're hitting body armor yeah, that's interesting. The the mental health stuff, it also causes people who actually need mental health help to not go get help because of the stigma and because their rights would be taken away. So it has kind of a, a double-edged sword there. In our last big story of the Free 30, we are going to discuss what will come of the giant ship that is stuck in the Suez Canal. But before that, I want to tell you a little bit about what we're going to talk about in the Patreon 15, which is AstraZeneca's unforced error, the true cause of increasing male infertility, and is space wine for monkeys you'll find that out in the patron 15 and of course a big thank you to our sponsor today which is the rye guys and they have a fantastic ad that i'm going to play for you now 
Do you love freedom? Does the daily news leave you shaking your head? Does mindless conformity give you the heebie-jeebies? Are you surrounded by people who just don't get it? Are you right now wearing clothes? You over there, yes, you. Do you like cool clothes? Well, meet the Rye Guys, makers of fun, freedom-loving t-shirts and more, quality products for independent thinkers and other such troublemakers. We make each of our handcrafted tees with equal parts satire, mischief, and Rye social commentary. Put on one of our tees and you'll meet kindred spirits, share a laugh, and enjoy great conversation. Take off one of our tees and, well, we're not here to judge you. We support liberty, peace, and voluntary solutions to societal ills. And you have our word, our products are never tested on animals other than sacred cows. So, stop by today at www.ryguys.com That's W-R-Y-G-U-Y-S dot com. Ryguys.com. The Rye Guys. A rye wit for today's shit. That's the Rye Guys. Ryguys.com. Use the coupon code PROP10 and you will get, what is that discount, Monica? I think it's just 10% off for Propaganda Report listeners, but I even encourage people to look at the site. It's kind of like when you go to despair.com and they just have funny things that make you laugh. It's definitely for the smarter folks. That's why it's the Rye Guys. It's Rye Wit is a little bit uh, more sophisticated, but that's why it's just fun. So you listen to the show, you got a second, go noodle around over there. I think um, it's it'll brighten your day in, in a dark way. Yes, check them out. Support our sponsors by, or support us by supporting our sponsors. And if you have not checked out thepropreport.com yet, head over to thepropreport.com and sign up there where you can give us your email address because we're collecting email addresses because we want to make sure we can be able to contact everybody in case we get kicked off again, which we anticipate that we likely will. And we're setting up our systems so that we can still continue to do the show and still continue to have the community once we are offline. And we also at the website, we have the press pool where you can leave articles, you can leave comments and you can just engage with the propaganda report community and put stories there that help us. Go ahead, Monica. It would actually help us. Some people like Stella and uh, other active users, some folks who don't like to use Twitter, they go over there and they put up our headlines and stuff. And they'll also shoot me an email or message me or whatever of like th- things that would make it work better. So now we have a guy who's very responsive. So if you go over to the press pool and there's something that you find a little difficult to navigate that you think is not a huge fix. I mean, it's not going to be actual Twitter, but I love it. I check it every morning to see. It's like checking my traps. I check a few things. And one of them is I look at the press pool to see what our listeners have found. And I, a lot of them are international. So we get stories from from Australia, UK that way so it's fun to engage in and let me know you can email me the propaganda report gmail um the propaganda report podcast at gmail.com but you can probably also contact us through the site you used to be able to i've got to check that i put some uh, like captcha stuff on there sometimes that slows down the emails but i'll figure it out anyway but please help us make that better Yes, it, it, the website looks great. It's getting stronger and stronger. And we we often encourage people to check out Patreon. Once you check out Patreon, check out Rock, Rockfin. But if you want premium content but you don't like Patreon, let us know and we can hook you up yeah, there. If you want to, well. if you want to donate directly, like one big donation and get a password for a couple of months or a year or whatever, we can do that. And then. 
You don't have to go through Patreon, but I love Patreon. I'm going to be sad when they kick us off, but it's a great community and I post there a lot. I interact there constantly. I'm, I answer every single message every day and that's getting to be a lot. <laughs> so, uh, but I love it. I look forward to it. I wake up and go to sleep looking at that. So I do highly encourage people to give Patreon a chance before it's over. Yeah. Yeah, I do as well. Our, our last feature on the proudport.com is we have a place where you can set up meetups and find out if there's a meetup in your area, which we have one. Coming up April 18th. Yes. yes, I'll tell you about the meetup when I give the shout outs at the end of the show today. Okay, fantastic. Well, on to our final story of the day. So there's a ship stuck in the Suez Canal, a ship supposedly the size, and I believe this, the size of the Empire State Building on its side. It's a container wow. ship. Yeah. Is that mind boggling? This is the Suez Canal. Like, I, if I'm not mistaken, I actually forgot to look this up. I think it's like a million dollars to get through the Suez Canal. It's like something crazy, but it saves so much because you don't have to circumnavigate the globe or whatever. Really, really, really important. Very important uh, waterway and man-made achievement. So I just find it very hard to believe when these things happen. So I immediately tried to find out, like, is how unusual is this? Very, very, very unusual. They're blaming it on, they're not sure, but like a gust of wind. So now I want to know, like, our gusts of wind. Um, they First, they call it a dust storm, then a wind storm, then I don't know what. So I want to see how easy it is to, like, gin up a gust of wind. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea the technical details of how this happened. But I kept looking for, like, how? How unusual is this? What are the implications? And of course, in the Wall Street Journal, you got to read all the way to the end to get the agenda items or like the smoking guns on some of these really long stories, but they usually have it there. So there was a quote uh, where someone said, this is this is a perfect storm at the moment for chip shortages. So COVID created this crazy demand for chips. Um, they were talking about a shortage of chips for a long time now. Just last week, I think, there was a massive fire in a chip factory in Japan. And now this, which is slowing down traffic. And it's not even like there are chips on the boat. It's that the end products, I don't know what, like maybe it's just because it's because it, they say the chip stuff is actually flying. It's actually transported in the air. So I don't even know why every single story pointed to the chip shortage. I'm sure people who are listening will know the answer to that. But but my point is simply that they are saying that this is greatly interfering with um, the chips. And there's like several things that this story is pointing to all pre-existing stories that they are exacerbating. Uh, the number one story is this is, quote, further, further disrupting supply chains. So what we saw from event 201 before in 2019 through this COVID thing. And I even noticed it. I actually pointed out something like this during when Trump was first rolling out like trade constraints and talking about China's the enemy or whatever. I said, you know, are they 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 seem to be moving towards autarky. A-U-T-A-R-K-Y. It was a, um, a Mussolini idea or it was associated with him during the fascist period where your country as a as a national defense thing should be able to to uh, produce everything it needs. 
you know, so like in, in wartime, you don't want to have to rely on other countries for chips. OK, so I saw that and I couldn't figure I was like, that seems like a very um, like a, a thing that focuses on the benefit of the people in a nation state. And I don't I just don't have any faith that the powers that be who who organize these worldwide psychological operations are really have the best interest of citizens of any given state at heart. So for me, uh, it looks like this supply chain interruption and all the trade stuff is continues to feed into my idea that the human beings their travel, their trade, and their access to information is getting narrowed. Is we're kind of going deindustrialized Cuba style. Well, of course, the the virtual stuff is is where the globalism is going to come in. So I think that the supply chain disruption feeds into all those things that I've been talking about already. They, um, I think that they will also use this as a way to. Uh, foster driverless cars and not owning your own cars. And I'll tell you why, because the chip thing is feeding this idea that there's an automobile shortage. Like I don't buy any of this stuff. These systems are extremely, uh, sophisticated and complex. I mean, you watch the World Economic Forum stuff, you listen to those companies, they are way ahead of this stuff. I don't even believe the Texas thing about the, you know, that was another perfect storm that just interrupted oil supplies. This is interrupting oil supplies. So now you have chips making automobiles harder to come by, oil supply disruptions making the price of gas go through the roof. There are side-by-side articles in the journal today about the chips, about the ship, the ship in the Suez Canal, and about the price of gas going up. So so I think that that is part of it. And then the last thing I would say is I think they are looking at a uh, the, they're going to use these factors as an excuse for massive increases in consumer prices, which if you if you listen to Milton Friedman for anything, this would be the thing is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. When you have price increases, it's inflation. I mean, yes, there are isolated things, supply and demand, whatever. But basically, these wholesale or I should say it's like a tautology. Inflation simply means an increase in the money supply. We are experiencing that right now. It's going to make prices go up. But they're going to they, I'm telling you, you'll look back a year from now and they or a year from now, you can look back. They're going to have all this stuff about how all these factors in led to this increase in inflation when in fact the monetary and fiscal policy is really at the heart of inflation expectations right now so that's that but i do i do feel like the companies that are these sophisticated companies i was talking about who this stuff doesn't happen by accident i feel like uh they are going to benefit from this new world order coming down. That seems to be the case all the time with these crises that happen, that the rich seem to benefit, the powerful seem to get more power. Well, it's not even it's not just that it's the connected. It's the people who are in on it. It's like the World Economic Forum thing. So I want you to give me or share with us, maybe in the show notes or whatever, the list of these companies. Every time you I I mean, you have said this to us that you will see these initiatives that look to be like the ESG stuff straight out of the World Economic Forum. And always the companies that are leading the charge are on that list. I want to find I want to make like a new Dow Jones Industrial Index, but just of the 
the corporations that are in on it because while their upside is probably not going to be that great, I bet their downside is is a better risk than the U.S. government. I mean, they do say like the Coca-Cola yeah. has a better bond rating than the U.S. government or there was a moment in time when that was close to being true or was actually true. And I, I want to look at those companies. I really do. Well, I can give you a, a little teaser of what some of those companies are. I think we have enough time to do that. This is separate, but also similar to the Great Reset. The same companies are crossing over, working with both of these. This is the Ad Council, which I told you yesterday is behind this largest mass scale uh, public education program in history of the world. The It's Up to You. The It's Up to You program, it represents the largest public education effort in U.S. history. More than 300 brands, media companies, community-based organizations, faith leaders, medical experts, and other trusted messengers are supporting the campaigns designed to reach distinct audiences. These partners include Adobe, Apple, Bishop, T.D. Jakes, Black Information Network, Facebook, Fox Entertainment, Google, YouTube, iHeartMedia, NAACP, NBC Universal, Pandora, Sirius, or Siri, not Siri, Sirius XM, SoundCloud, Sanjay Gupta, Telemundo, Unidos, Viacom, and more. So that's that's just a, a primer on some of these organizations. And there's even they, one of the examples of how they're using these organizations is they have tapped a an all black or, an, or not an all black and black owned ad agency, public marketing agency, and they are crafting messages specifically designed for the African-American community. And so they're, they're reaching out, as we said, to those people who can hit create resonance within the individual so that they feel they aren't being influenced and that they're making decisions themselves. And the most interesting thing they're doing to me is they're, quote, normalizing vaccine hesitancy. That is why I think we're seeing these stories about the adverse reactions, because this effort is is one of its goals is to normalize vaccine hesitancy so that you can then take people from where they are hesitant to where you want them to be not hesitant. But first, you wow. have to normalize it by putting stories out that creates that fear. I absolutely noticed that the three most famous cases of people dying shortly after getting the vaccine were black guys. Bingo. That, and I said that point. I was like, why are they why is that name three people, you know, who died after getting a vaccine and they were yeah. all black guys? Yeah, you pointed that out. That, that that makes perfect sense, actually. Wow. That is crazy. Well, you cracked the code. There with that. Yeah, well, you definitely got the right answer, figured it out. Wow, that is nuts. Anyway, well, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that in the patron 15. But first, I want to get a couple of shout outs in. Uh, I want to shout out to Travis, our latest patron of the truth. That's the patron tier just above the truth sponge. Truth sponge is all Patreon premium content. Patron of the truth. You get to come to one of the uh, you get to the first Friday disappearing patron party. So we look forward to seeing Travis at the next disappearing patron party. And uh, I did want to give Avery a shout out Avery shouts out to uh, my fiance's band Crimson Overtone and their first single I Stand available on all major music platforms I think that's really nice so this is a great way to use a shout out and it's probably a service to the people listening so if people want to sit there maybe we'll get some some hits for this Crimson Overtone first single I Stand I'm going to look listen to that right after the show I look forward to that I bet it's good and then I did want to tell people we have a couple of meetups planned so we have Atlanta Brad and I are both going to be at Neighbors Feed and Seed April 18 
18th. It's a Sunday, 2 p.m. I think Garland is committed to coming, too. So if you're a fan, if you're a local, we expect a good, good crowd there. It's going to be lots of fun. Then also... I am going to, and this is going to be a tiny crowd. We're, we're only going to meet for a couple of drinks, an hour or two. But so you have to be real local. Don't go out of your way for it. But I am going to kind of uh, attend the first meetup in upstate New York, right outside the city. I think it's going to be in Rockland County. That will be Friday, April 23rd, probably seven o'clock at night. And uh, there are a couple of people who want to do that. And if you want to know the exact location when I figure it out, I need I need to know who's interested so I know how big a table to get. Go to thepropreport.com, go to the meetups tab and go to the New York section and just comment in there and I will let you know where it's going to be as I get closer to knowing where it's going to be. And on to the patron 15. All right, you guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content that we post every day that we post at DMB, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and become a patron. We will talk to you all tomorrow or in the patron 15. Have a great rest of your day.